wonderful to gather together, to worship together. Uh, this has been a, a very sweet journey for me, and I know as I've talked to many of you and heard little testimonies here and there of how God's been stirring in your heart, um, it's been a sweet journey for us. This is our last week uh, of five uh, weeks in the book of Hebrews. Uh, our series, Draw Near, has been a study on worship and concludes, I think, very appropriately today at the communion table. And so, as was mentioned before, uh, if you don't have communion elements, that's fine. Uh, we're going to have some space at the end of the service where we can participate in communion together, and uh, you'll have some time to do that. We'll also have some worship uh, in, in music uh, at the end of the service as well, and so we'll fold that in. Uh, we've been talking about a couple different key principles. Week one, we talked about worship as this invitation to draw near uh, week two, we talk about worship through a new and better covenant. That is essentially what we celebrate when we come to the communion table. That's why it's appropriate for us in the context of worship uh, to remember communion. Week three, we talked about worship interwoven with prayer, which even we're experiencing here today. Wonderful. Uh, the, last week, we talked about worship that is grounded in the Word of God, that we want to make sure that we are listening to what He is saying and hearing His voice. Today, I, I want to use uh, sort of a phrase that emerged through the course of this series was not part of the original writing of it but something that God kind of put on my heart as we were going this idea of worship that spills over I just think it's such a beautiful image you know that as God fills us up in worship that there's a worship that spills over and that ministry actually comes out of that living out of the communion that you have with Christ you know, that, that is what we're talking about when we see the worship spilling out into your world. So we give thanks to Jesus for ways in which this is already happening. Specifically, uh, you know, we've got a lot of things that we can celebrate. Last week, we were able to do some baptism services and to celebrate with those families uh, new life. I mean, that's like one of the best things uh, that we can do. And so again, we see, see this overflow of what God is doing, and so we celebrate that together. We have another baptism service that's scheduled for October 30th, and we've already got some people that are saying, hey, wanna get baptized? If you have made a commitment to Christ, but have never made a public profession of that faith that you have, I would encourage you today, talk to one of our pastoral staff, call the office and say, I want to have a little bit more information about this baptism service, because that's what that is. And I've talked to people who have said, my spiritual life uh, was blessed when I came to Christ and took off after baptism, and I finally figured out why. It's because I'm professing Christ before others. And uh, he says, if you profess me before other people, I'm going to profess you before my Heavenly Father. There is a step of blessing that comes uh, with baptism. So we want to encourage you to participate in that. It will be a wonderful joy to celebrate that with you. Uh, last week we had a picnic and fellowship, and I was encouraged to see the flexibility of our team because we were going to be outside came inside. You know what? Nobody complained. It was just like, hey, we're just doing, we're doing some family stuff together. We're doing some fellowship. We're breaking bread. Uh, that, too, gave me great pause to just be thankful for the church and for your hearts and everything else and then the food packs that we celebrated with that video today almost 140,000 meals that were packed just fantastic and so all of these are the kind of things that we're talking about and probably many many other things many things that are not corporate necessarily things here things specific to your life where worship begins to spill over 
You know, and that is the heart where we would like to conclude this message today. We're going to be looking in Hebrews chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. And this is what we're talking about. Worship that spills over into our lives and out of our lives. It spills over into our hands and into our calendars and into our priorities. And may that continue to be the case in the life of the church. I love uh, St. Augustine uh, who said this. I gave you this quote on the first week. He says, you never go away from us, yet we have difficulty in returning to you, his prayer. Come, Lord, stir us up, call us back, kindle and seize us, be our fire and our sweetness. And then he said, let us love, let us run. And to me, that's just a wonderful picture of worship that is spilling over, worship that is more than just attendance or showing up or going through the motions or anybody can do that. What we're talking about is an encounter with God that is actually affecting the direction of your life and spilling over and affecting the world around you. That is possible for you. If you are in Christ today, that is possible for you. Today's message can be kind of broken down into three little parts. I want to talk again about this open invitation. We're just going to hit that one more time and sort of cement that idea. So invitation first. Secondly, we're going to talk about the internal transformation. Like what actually happens as we spend time in the presence of God? What is happening already? What has happened? So this idea of transformation. And then finally, uh, and I'm excited about this, the intentional cooperation, the way that we are called. So, so invitation, transformation, cooperation. Right. So we're going to go through those three words in this message today. It's going to start in Hebrews chapter 10, reading in verse 19 and following through verse 25. If you have your Bibles, just follow along. Let me read this to you. Uh, Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body and since we have a great high priest over the house of God let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now that already gives you a lot to celebrate this morning, but if that wasn't good enough, let me just go on two more verses and read with me. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. May God have blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So I want to just hit one more time with you. We've talked about it throughout the duration of this series. But this idea that draw near is not something that just happens for five weeks and we talk about that or whatever. This is the open invitation for your life if you are in Christ today. So we're going to end this journey on a communion Sunday where we began this journey on a communion Sunday confidently entering into the most holy place because of the finished work of Christ we confidently enter in to the most holy place because of the finished work of Christ could I ask you just to pause on that statement for a moment just close your eyes if it's helpful just 10 seconds to just meditate on that 
we are invited to enter in to the most holy place because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's just marinate in that for just a moment. So what comes to mind when you, when you pause and you think about that? What are, what are the words that, that emerge or the emotional response? Or what, what is the response in your heart when you think about that? Coming into the presence of God because of the finished work of Jesus. Does anything emerge? Just yell it out. Thank you. Yeah, that's my first one. Gratitude. Whoa. Just whoa. I love it. Theologically sound. Whoa. It's good privilege yeah go ahead awe Awe. yeah to stand in awe we heard about that several weeks ago somebody said in the first service they said there's a rest I like that you know in fact Hebrews likes that too because he talks all about that they failed to enter his rest how much more is important for us to enter into the rest of God because of the finished work of Christ and we do that too. You know, when you come into that place of worship and experience the, the manifest presence of God, uh, the pressure's kind of off of you, right? You know, because you're encountering Him. And it's about Him in the first place, it's about His glory. So we, we can rest in all of that. So that's, that's some, some beautiful uh, and I think very right responses. So the, the scripture says we, we have this curtain of His body. Of course, this is a very strong. Uh, worship imagery because the, the veil that was torn when Christ was sacrificed at the cross meant that the holy of holies was now coming out, the presence of God now and this was the new covenant pronouncement right, I'm going to write my law on their hearts, I'm going to be their God, they're going to be my people, I'm going to write my, my law on their minds but it's, there's going to be an indwelling and so the holy of holies has now come to be among us uh, so that is, there's no longer that great division. And we see the great high priest who has himself become the sacrifice that changes the relationship between sinful humanity and a holy God. That's the essence of what worship is about. That there is a change in the proximity. You are no longer appeasing God with your sacrifice. That was never the goal. I'm going to appease God. I'm going to, that's what religion says. I'm going to try to manipulate God to do the thing that I want him to do if I, I bring a sacrifice that is costly enough, etc. That's not what we're doing when we worship. We're celebrating the change in proximity that Christ has brought between sinful humanity and a holy God. We enter his rest. We are changed. And the invitation is never-ending. That's the piece that I want to just encourage you with here for a few moments. The invitation is never-ending. The invitation doesn't come at the end of the service. The invitation doesn't come at the altar call. The invitation doesn't come at communion and then stop. The invitation to come into the presence of God is never-ending. So when you are saying, and I hope that some of you have, even in the, the, the duration of this series, maybe come to the place of saying, I need wisdom. You know, I'm looking for wisdom. I need help. I need strength. You know, whatever, whatever the need is, and then you have a, a, a Hebrews 4 aha moment. Wait a minute. I am to approach the throne of grace boldly and find grace and find help in my time of need. That's what we've been talking about for five weeks. How many of you uh, have, have experienced that one time or more? Right? Yeah. That's, that is the point. 
That is the point. You don't need to come here to get that, but in coming here and growing in this together, we hope that you go out walking in that, that you are equipped with everything that you need in Christ to come and to approach the throne of grace boldly. This is an open invitation. Now, that, the word open invitation is just that, that elicits kind of a warm response in me. I don't know about you. Maybe you know somebody that you're just like, you have an open invitation at their house. You just, can, you just kind of go in. Um, incidentally, make sure you actually do before you just assume that, because that can be rude if you, if you don't. But you probably have people in your life that just, you just, mi casa tu casa, just, just come on in. I think about open invitation. I remember the friend of mine, John, in high school, and his parents, these wonderful, huge-hearted parents that he had, uh, they had kids, they had foster kids, they had adopted kids. It was like they had to check the ledger to see how many people lived in their house at any one time because they were just always bringing in new kids and ministering. And when you would go to their house, it was like, are you staying for dinner? Are you staying for lunch? And it was no big deal because she's already like cooking for 40. You know what I mean? So I remember being in the kitchen and, and the mom, I just loved, I loved, I loved the mom. She was so great. And, and she would say like, I, I was just making some hot dogs and she is taking out an industrial size pack of hot dogs that's like 40 pounds, 60 hot, whatever. Just, I'm gonna make some hot dogs. You can stay if you want. And I just thought, what is it like to live in this house? But it was just an open invitation. You could just go. I've always uh, admired my mom and dad. They have a gift of hospitality. They're very, very hospitable people. So if you show up at dinner time, they'll probably just put an extra plate out at the dinner table. It's fine. Just come on in. Uh, my parents actually, in the summertime, uh, under at least normal conditions, COVID has been weird, but under normal conditions, if you call my parents' house, uh, the answering machine, if you get it, says, hey, we're not here right now. This is the Hennings. Uh, but the pool's open, so just come on over. You know what I mean? That's like anybody on the planet that calls is now invited to just come jump in the pool. No, no other invitation needed. Um, they, they have a gift of hospitality. I admire that uh, about them. Uh, so we have this idea of, of what it's like to have an open invitation. Um, e- even this week, I had, uh, just give one other quick example, but uh, this week I had a meeting in, in Lancaster, and I ended up staying. It was an overnight kind of deal, and so I, had a, I stayed at a host family that I had never met before. Just some delightful people from the Lancaster Alliance Church, so a sister church of ours down in Lancaster, and these uh, lovely people who just said, yeah, this stranger can come and stay at our house. And I wasn't getting there till pretty late and stuff, and I was like, Are you, is this gonna be too late? And they're like, oh, that's fine. And if we just go to bed, then just, you, you'll find the room. I'll, we'll leave you a note, you'll find a room. And I was like, that's actually pretty warm. You know, that's pretty sweet. Literally, I've never met you, and they're like, the door's open, come in and sleep here, you know? In the morning, I, I, I did get there before they went to bed, and she goes, uh, what time are you getting up in the morning? We'll put a little bit of breakfast out for you. And I said, uh, I said well, I'm getting up a little early because I'm going to work on a couple of things. And she goes, oh, I'm not getting up that early. She said, I'll just leave food out for you. It's on the counter. So, I mean, it was, this is the just open invitation. Just come on in. Eat our food. Sleep here. So I'm going back. I, I just, no, I'm not. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. It's a warm thing. So here, here's what I'm trying to get at. The invitation to draw near to the presence of God, to be a worshiper, that is never ending. That is the open-ended invitation for the follower of Christ. And the great sadness would be if we go through a large portion of our life or our walk with Jesus not realizing that that was the case. The bottom line is today, let me encourage you with these words as your pastor, okay? I'm gonna speak to you as your pastor. The bottom line 
It is not too late, nor is it too early to become a genuine seeker of the presence of God. And if a genuine seeker of the presence of God, you say, I don't really know what that is. I don't really know what that means. Let today be the day you say, I'm going after it. I'm going to start. You're not too old, and you're not too young. That's why I say you're not too, not too late, not too, er- too early. If perhaps you're sitting here saying, well, I feel too old. You know, I, I feel like my best years are behind me or whatever, and any number of things that as I get into middle age, I feel some of that sometimes. I understand. Uh, I don't know what it's like to be 70. I don't know what it's like to be 80. Some of you are in your 90s. But if you're in the place where you would be tempted to think that you're too old, let me remind you, take a little study of Abraham, of Sarah, of Moses, of Anna, of Simeon, of just great people who in their time and in their old age encountered God in a special and beautiful way. Let me remind you of Psalm 71, 18, which we've quoted here before. Even when I'm old and gray, shout out to my old and gray brothers and sisters, right? Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. I want to suggest to you today that as you grow as a worshiper, this is a lifelong experience, and you are never too old to be coming into the presence of God. In fact, it is the presence of God, I believe, the older that you get, that will help you to stay joyful in those older years. And I'm not trying to be flippant when I say this because I understand that there are seasons of life where it feels like life is taking more than it's giving. I understand there's hardship and difficulty. But I have learned, and I thought about this. So here's the first part of the statement. I've learned that joy comes when you continue to pursue the presence of God. And the beautiful thing is, I've learned this by watching many of you. Like I see it in your life. So I'm not trying to ask you to to do something. You say, well, you're, you're too young. You can't tell me to do that. Well, I've seen it in you. I've seen it in you. I've seen it in your life that joy continues to come when you understand what it means to find the presence of God and to continue to seek him. So you're not too old. And it's not too late. And you're not too young to be serious about this invitation. And if you feel maybe like you're too young, then study Jeremiah, study Samuel, study the life of Timothy. You know, Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example. Set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So my encouragement would be, I mean, if you're 12 years old, if you're 13 years old, 15 years old, if you're eight years old, whatever, you're not too young is the point to say, I'm gonna be a pursuer of the presence of God. Even if my family doesn't know what that means. And even my friends think I'm crazy. I'm gonna start putting down some roots and figuring out, I'm not gonna waste these years. Friends, look, young friends, my young brothers and sisters that are here. It is in the presence of God that these first Timothy things begin to take root. Your speech is refined. Your conduct is examined. Your love is increased. Your faith is strengthened. Your purity is refined. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next section, but for now, just hear this from a pastor who wants God's best for you. Do not waste the strength 
of your youth on frivolous distraction. Learn to live your life seeking things that matter. I speak to people in their 30s, in their 40s, in their 50s who say, I wish I had begun to dig in to understand what it is to seek and to cultivate the presence of God in my life when I was 15, when I was 12. Instead of waiting until I amassed a whole bunch, a couple decades of bad habits and had to unlearn a bunch of stuff before actually going into that. So as a somewhat older brother in Christ, to some of my younger brothers and sisters that are here, I love you. Don't waste the vigor of your youth on things that don't matter. And that might be a good discussion question for you to pick up on. Um, oh yeah, so we're invited. I was getting a little, a little passionate. So we're invited. This is the point, right? It doesn't matter how young, doesn't matter how old. We're invited to pursue the presence of God. And this is the open invitation. And I hope that if throughout this series, a little bit of that has stuck and maybe we'll cement that today, praise the Lord. Uh, the second one we want you to see is this idea of internal transformation. So the author of Hebrews says, let us draw near, there's a title series again, draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled with, and, uh, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Uh, let me just make two quick observations. Number one, notice that while we are called to engage in this process, our work, our effort, and, and again, like the author of Hebrews says, draw near. Like this is something he's asking. You are making a decision of your heart, mind, will, and sometimes even your body, to say, I am pursuing the presence of Christ. That's a decision that you will make or you will not make. But it is not on your decision or your strength that we build our confidence. The confidence that we have, the faith that we profess, the hope that we have, they are grounded in Christ's finished work and effort. He who promised is faithful. And that's the deciding factor. It's not just your ability to lean in, but you can lean in because he who promised is faithful. So that's just one observation. The second one is this. I notice that in my life, and I believe this is true in yours, it is very difficult to sin when we are consciously aware of the presence of God, right? So we've talked a lot in this series about just being honest about our hearts and you know, all of the junk. I don't, I don't know where you're dealing with today and we're not gonna have a big public confession booth or anything. I just know that the human heart is prone to things like greed. Right? It's prone to things like lust. It's prone to things like stubbornness, like pride, anger. Right? All of these things that are, that are not godly things, they're not godly qualities, and yet my heart and your heart can get very messy with all of these. What happens when you learn to cultivate and pursue the presence of God in your life actually gives you a, I mean, look, you could spend the rest of your life saying, I'm not gonna be greedy anymore, I'm, not, I'm gonna win the battle for lust, or I'm gonna, like, you can, you can make those declarations, and I, and I hope that you do, and I hope that you're serious about pursuing the things of God and, and, and saying no to the things of the world or an old nature kind of mindset. But there's something about saying, it's actually hard to sin when I'm consciously aware of the presence of God. So when you gather together in a worship service today or we're praying together, whatever, maybe you become more consciously aware 
of the presence of God, you probably were not riddled with temptation at that moment. You were probably not stumbling in your pet sin in that moment. Why? Because you're consciously aware of the presence of God. And so there's something so healing and helping and resting about learning what it is to be worshipers. So that's another observation. There's this transformation going on. The power of worship is that when we come into the presence of God, we do it through the work of Christ. We have to humble ourselves, which is actually good for us. It makes us better people. We lift up Jesus because he is worthy. We receive from him, which is what we've been talking about throughout this whole series. We receive instruction. We receive correction. We receive direction. We receive strength. We receive comfort, wisdom, and everything else. We are being changed in his presence. You are being changed in his presence so that when you look back on your life, one actually one of the encouraging things are when you can look back on your life, because change happens in small incremental sort of things, it's hard to notice day to day, but when you can look back and you say, well, you know what? I don't seem to react in that same way anymore. I don't seem to be triggered in that same way anymore. I, I may have actually grown <laughs> a little bit. The transforming power of the presence of God in your life. John Piper has this quote when he's talking about when you look at your heroes, and you, you tend to pick up mannerisms or phrases, uh, facial expressions, habits, things like that. You, you look at them and maybe you do things that they do. Um, th and that represents a level of change. But he says this. I have this on the screen for you. He says, the more admirable the hero is and the more intense your admiration is, the more profound will be your transformation. In the case of Jesus, he is infinitely admirable. And our admiration rises to the most absolute worship. Therefore, when we behold him as we should, the change is profound. So this might be a longer conversation. This might be a cup of coffee. This might be an accountability deal. This might be something that you want to pick up with somebody else. But the question would be, if I'm stuck in my heart... Is that actually not a matter of worship? And if I'm encountering the presence of God, if I figure out by some grace of his what that even means, does that open up a door for me to grow and for God to bring transformation into my life? That's a great promise to go after. That's a good goal to pursue. Um, again, I'll, I'll just say this real quickly. I love... Side notes on side notes. That's probably annoying, but I'll just say it. Uh, the reason that we have throughout this series, and if it made you uncomfortable, I'm actually not sorry, but the, the, we have tried to say throughout this series at various points that like dealing with the sin nature of your heart authentically, like that's actually a beautiful aspect that worship invites us into. Like that actually causes us to grow as opposed to saying, well, we're Christian people, we should know better by now, whatever, we don't struggle, we don't have anger issues, we're not greedy, we, you know what I mean? So like the fakeness, I think, is such an impediment to the reality of worship. And wh whoever said when we were talking about just pondering the, the grace of Christ a little bit in the finished work of Christ and we say well why is love one of the things well he who has been forgiven much loves much 
And so there's an element of that, of just being honest with your heart, that, that there's an authenticity to that. And we can keep growing in that. I think the Lord would have us do that. So internal transformation. We're trying to say this is a good thing, and God is giving this to us. Here's the last one, and then we'll get ready for communion. Intentional cooperation. I love this. Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That is the day of the Lord. That is the day of judgment. That is the return that we are living in light of, the return of Christ. We see that day getting closer. It gets closer every day. Encourage each other. Uh, Build each other up. This is more than just about attendance. When you read this, we a lot of times say, well, you should be gathering together, i.e., you should go to church. Okay, go to church, that's fine. But you can attend without really being in the same spirit or flow or working together for the same mission. I love that the author of Hebrews says, be thoughtful about our interactions with one another. Let us consider raising the level of those around us, spur one another on toward love and good deeds that there is a commitment to a common cause. Don't give up meeting together and helping each other in the journey. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. This is where as worship begins to spill over in your personal life, it will affect the health and the life of the corporate gathering of believers. And when worship spills over out of a corporate gathering of believers, it will affect and impact the community and the the nation and the state. It will affect the world around us when God works through us. This is every person doing what they are called to do. And I would say, parenthetically, and only what they're called to do. Because if you take from this, I just gotta, my worship is better, I just gotta do more. That's not the message. Allow the spillover of an encounter with God and an ongoing invitation to come into his presence to allow your gifts to be set on fire in the way you are called specifically to serve. Don't pick up something for everybody else. Do the things that God has asked you to do. There, no guilt, no shame. No, like we, don't, we don't need more of that, right? We can put that off. So that... We may be a Christ-exalting, kingdom-advancing people who reflect his heart and carry out his mission. And we do it together. That's the joy. We do it together. A little adage that I like to throw out every now and then, I think it's true to this form, is essentially if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that's the heart of what we're called to do. The Greek word homothumadon is one that I've been meditating on for the last two years. It's incredible. The definition is to have one mind, to have one accord, to have one passion. Uh, And it's summed up in worshipful verses like this, Romans 15, 6. It says, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Homothumadon is a compound A compounding of two words, meaning to rush along and to be in unison. The image is almost like a musical one. You can imagine different musical notes that come together in a harmonious sort of way, led by a great conductor. As the instruments of a great concert come under the direction of a concert master, so the Holy Spirit blends together the lives within the member of Christ's church. And so worship as something that we do collectively 
becomes this beautiful expression, and it's so all-encompassing. It's worship in song. It's worship in prayer. It's worship in serving together. It's worship in mission together. It's worship in giving together. Like, that's actually a thing. When you, when you think about that in the context of worship, total game changer. You know, this is us together saying, where is God calling us to go forward? So there's this intentional cooperation. Very, very beautiful. Uh, all right, let's wrap this up, and we're going to go to the communion table together. Uh, therefore, that's where our passage starts. Therefore, because of all of this that we've talked about and a lot that we didn't cover. Because of the better sacrifice of Christ, we have confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. That means in every season of life, this relationship with Christ and your capacity to draw near to the heart of God and worship, that is what will sustain you. We're talking about a worship that spills over, and so the author of Hebrews text chapter 11 and talks all about the examples of big faith and people who have lived it out. And then in chapter 12, we're encouraged to look at Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. In fact, it says, look at him so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. It says, focus on the unshakable kingdom that he is building. In, in chapter 13, it says, live it out and worship in worship, and periodically, you're gonna be called back together to connect with brothers and sisters, to sit at the feet of Jesus, just like we're gonna do now. We're gonna draw here in praise and adoration and what are we going to find? Grace and help in our time of need. And as we're coming to the concluding sort of exhortations of Hebrews, the author says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. I think maybe... That gives us a little clue. What does it mean to love well, to run well? What does that mean to let our worship overflow? So maybe you would even ask God to help you with that today as we come to the communion table. Uh, today we're going to invite you to take communion as a part of your worship response. Uh, we've got a couple options for you. Uh, the intinction option where you tear the bread and, and dip it. Um, you can come up to the table to do that. If you already have elements, you can take the communion elements when you are there. If you want to go up, you'll have time to go up to the tables and get the elements. We do like to make sure that you're aware. Um, we do this as an expression for believers, meaning if you are in Christ, you made a commitment to Christ. And the reason we do that, in fact, it's scriptural, is that we don't want you to be acknowledging a sacrifice that you have not received yet. But instead of seeing that as a prohibition, it's actually a wonderful invitation. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood poured out for you. So that when we commit our lives to Christ, we're saying, yes, I receive that. I receive the finished work of Christ for me. It's no longer my track record. That's how my sin is actually dealt with. It's the record of Christ. So that's the great exchange, the, the holiness of Christ, okay? So um, as we're worshiping, you can make your way to one of the four corners if you are in Christ today. If today you're receiving that invitation and just saying, I bow my knee to the Lordship of Jesus. I confess my sin that keeps me apart from a holy God. I confess my sin before him. Today's my day. I'm stepping in, and then I'm running to the communion table to say, thank you, Jesus. 
And I do this in remembrance of you for all that you have done for me. It's a wonderful joy. So we invite you to, to respond to that today. Uh, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, Scripture tells us, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we're making that proclamation today as a part of our worship to him. We're drawing near to his presence. What a joy for us to be able to do that. So Jesus, we just want to say thank you. We love you. We receive from you. And we draw near to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is your time uh, as the worship team sings over us. Beautiful song. Um, you'll be in instructed. You can make your way when you're ready to the communion table. So team, why don't you lead us?